Can you believe it? Tradition forbids me even to speak to the woman I'm about to spend my life with. Has the whole world gone crazy? Nah, just your screwy country. Middle of April, and this is Glop Culture, and I am John Podhoritz. What? That's funny. Rob? I don't know. That's just because you like took a weird little beat there. I don't know what that was all about. I, I was trying to provide a little pause uh-huh. before okay. I jumped in, like a kind of dramatic yeah, right. pause. But right. people people don't know that because they're going to just hear me say, "Hey, it's mid April." I'm John Podhoritz. Rob Long, you're elsewhere yeah. in New York. How are you? I'm doing fine, John. How are you? You're doing. I, I know you had a little injury yesterday. Well, we got to say hi to Jonah before you. Yeah, Jonah, Jonah Goldberg in Washington. Hi, Jonah. Hi, John. Okay, so hi, I, 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 I got thank you for thinking of me, Rob. You're welcome. Yeah. I, 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 okay, guys. I just got to tell you about life. As I am, I am turning sixty. Oh my God! On Sunday, I will be sixty years old on Sunday. You don't look a day over fifty-nine. <laughs> let me tell you. Is it is it going to be weird when you do before you get into the story that I'm sure I. I it, it, is it, it? Do you feel weird? I mean, I sixty. You, look, think about sixties. Sixties. Fuck. It, it's old. I mean, I'm, old. I'm, I'm just being honest no, no, with you. No, like, no, you right. know how you can when you were younger and you met somebody who was like forty five, and you yeah. go, "Oh my god, forty five. My, I will be yeah. so different. I yeah. can't even think about being for everything. And then you're forty. You're forty five. All of a sudden, you're like, "This is yeah. not that. I'm. Yeah. I'm I, I still." Oversleep, and I still put things off, and I still lie. And I, 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 I'm, you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> yeah, you're right. sixty. Yeah, 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 you're not like yes, you're not full of wisdom. You're not Judge Hardy. No, wisdom, no. Right? Well, I will tell you this: I, it, I don't feel sixty because I have relatively young children. I, I think this is actually a big <laughs> I thing. Make like, feel 80, no, no, I think. no, no, because like I have my my youngest is ten. Uh, he was born when I was forty nine. I have a I have a a sixteen year old and a fourteen year old, and as a result, like when my fa- when my father was sixty, I was twenty nine, right? My I was yeah. the youngest, and I was twenty nine, and my youngest is ten, and so I'm I'm still living in a world in which my kids are in school, in high school, in middle school, in lower school. Uh, and you know, I am beset with their concerns and the sorts of things that they do and the stuff that they are interested in. And it, it keeps me young in that weird way, but I'm going to tell you about a thing that made it clear to me that, yeah, I am old and here's what happened. You know what happened? I was walking to get my car in my garage, which is under Lincoln center. And I stepped off a curb and I heard this, and my knee was gone. My knee, I lost my knee. My knee shattered in some fashion. Uh, I seem to have a, a, a sprained MCL and a torn meniscus, and it's from stepping off a curb. It's from walking. A curb. Yeah, it's from using it's your knee. From, it's not from like I was in a battle. No. You know, I yeah. had to I had to chase a mugger. You know, I was right. doing something noble. Right. I took a step off a curb. It is so humiliating. And then my orthopedist friend said, "Yeah, this happens all the time." Like apparently, stepping off a curb. It's Don't like, do that. It's like yeah. apparently a. A major you should just of from now on be carried around town in a sedan chair <laughs> with see, a fan and a kimono, know, like now, Andre Leon yes. Talley. <laughs> That's me. I'm Andre Leon Talley, except <laughs> except shorter and shorter and whiter, right? But, I don't know um, if you guys know my friend Craig Turk. He's that Hollywood guy. Oh yeah, now, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But he used to be uh, one of us. I first met him when he was an intern at AI a long time ago. I was once out visiting him in California about five years ago, maybe more, and. He was so proud of himself. He and his buddies from high school were going to break into their high school gym oh, no. when they were uh, and 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 play a pickup game of basketball like teenagers. Oh no! And he was just so giddy about it. It was so funny. And and so they climb a fence and they think they're so cool for climbing a fence, just like when yeah. they were kids and blah blah blah. And they go into the gym and like I mean I may be misremembering some of this, but the gist of it was five minutes into the game, Craig goes up for a layup. 
comes down on his foot, spiral fractures his leg in like oh. nine places. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like spends the next 18 months in crutches. And I was just like, you, yeah. just, you gotta have to say goodbye to some of these yeah, things. Unfortunately, long ago, not longish ago, I wasn't, I don't think I was, you know, certainly it was, it was like 10 years ago. I went to Hawaii to surf because I actually did when I was living in California. I surfed every now and then, right? And they say it's Hawaii's been great. I mean, I wasn't doing this short. I was longboarding, right? Which is you know for older people. And um, and and this. I mean, and Big Islands is great surfing. And so I was. I I I, I surfed one a one one. I I paddled out, and I was so exhausted, <laughs> and, and and my arms hurt from paddling. That I just sort of sat there for like a while, and then the guy who was kind of running the he he got a jet ski, he came and goes, uh, "You okay, sir?" I'm like, yeah, I'm just a little, I'm just a little, I just a little winded. I don't know. It was like, yeah, he goes, yeah, the paddling's hard for for some of the older guys. He says, uh, and I, yeah. yeah, and I, I thought, oh my God, I carry this giant longboard. It's actually a hard thing to do to get with the plane and the thing, and you and you have to go wait in the other door to get it, and the guy brings it. And this would be great. And and I, I went one day, and then I was, okay. <laughs> I was there for about a week with friends, and I couldn't tell them that it was just too hard to paddle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can, I can stand yeah. on the board. The actual surfing, the act of surfing is yeah, like, I can do getting that. Getting out to the wind. Getting out yeah. And they didn't yet, had they not yet perfected, the, now they tow you out. They can, if you're like a certain you know, fitness level, yeah. they will tow you out on a yeah. jet ski. It's like glamping. Um, it's like glamping <laughs> on the water. Yeah, right, 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 yeah. right, right. Well, like, I don't know if you, you guys remember, um, uh, or if you were there, but on one of the old National Review cruises, this is at least, at least 10 years ago, maybe more, um, you know, like Fred Thompson, he spent his entire career looking older than he really was. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, he's just one of those guys who just looked old. And and, and so he wasn't super old, but you thought of him as, like, a grown-up when he was, like, 28 because he just had that look. And, you know, he was a Watergate guy. Remember, he got remarried, and he had this very attractive, much younger wife on huh. the cruise. He went, he went that way, huh? And <laughs> he had um, – um, and they had a baby. And – and, like, Fred Thompson is one of those guys, very much like sort of like my dad, you know, what my dad was worse, was like my dad, my dad literally didn't own a pair of jeans, but Fred Thompson always looked like he had to look like a senator, even when he was, like, yeah. relaxing. So he always had, you know, a nice press shirt and slacks and a, and, a, and a tweedy kind of jacket. And here he is, we're pulling into Curacao or one of these, you know, places where you can get your loose gems and, and have dudes pour shots into your mouth. And he's pushing this stroller with this brand new baby. And he must be yeah. like... 65 at that time or something like that. And I was just like, you looked at him and you had to, he just looked like he was exuding. What have I gotten myself into? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you used to do that and you used to go to, I used to go to like a, a kids uh, sports games, mostly in LA, you know, like my godson was a pitcher and stuff. You go and the, the stands are great. Cause it was like a, um, like a young dad, young dad, young dad. And then a dad who's 60. Yeah. Young dad, young dad, dad who's 60. And the dad who's 60 is like, yeah, I have four kids. Um, I've got, uh, you know, they got kid playing and a girl, some she's playing soccer. And then I have uh, an older son and daughter who don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> so once I was in Chicago uh, with my family, uh, and there is a, uh, uh, at the, uh, at the, it's really a great uh, mall, 600 Michigan. There's a, there's an old, a Greek coffee shop that had been like renovated into something fantastic called the oak tree or something like that and so we went there for breakfast and my son was then two or three and he was running around and so i'm like isaac come back and he was running around and i had to go over to the front and sort of catch him and bring him back and all this and the proprietor who was like this greek diner guy uh you know who'd been running this place for 30 years and it ended up in this fancy mall where they must have either moved or they replaced where they built the mall and they'd given him the spot in the mall to, you know, take the place of the place they had torn down. So he was not like in the right place exactly. He was like a classic working class Greek diner owner guy. And uh, he was standing there, he looked at me and he said, yeah, the grandparent, they all, the grandpa, he always got to run after the kid. The grandpa. 
<laughs> and the grandpa. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah well, he's actually my you son, what? but you know. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so yeah. so you tore your you tore your meniscus. Yeah, so I, I, tore, I tore my I sprained my my MCL stepping off a curb. And it's like there's a Dana Car- Carvey routine when he said, you know, you're middle aged when you're just sitting in in your chair and suddenly you're racked with pain. From absolutely nothing. Go like, yeah, just from well, not from nothing. Ow. Not from nothing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just yeah. Like, your neck hurts. You know, I've had this thing now, and I know this is I, 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 this is I've looked it up. So it's a, it's a, a syndrome. I know I'm not the only person where you'll be asleep or falling asleep, and then suddenly you just have like this weird spasm, like your leg will, yeah. like you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what is that? Yeah. Like, it's like, and it feels to me like, I mean, you know, this are are this demons leaving my body, which. Would be great because they, they seem only to be entering it these days. But it'd be I just thought well those weird little things that I just didn't ever I never really thought it would ever matter and they just they mat like the tiredness and um, anger uh, misdirected anger. Um, yep. it, it's like I, I I would I just in the office if something happened in the office and uh, we didn't use this term we used another more more where something happened I, I'd just be mad. I'm mad now. That's the term. And my assistant would say to people, um, "Rob has an anger erection right now." No. <laughs> he didn't use that term erection. Yeah, but you know what I mean. And it's like just just be aware of that. And I'm like, when they find, and then when they told me this, I then I had I, I said, well now it's now I'm really mad. <laughs> you know, I, I'm reminded. You know, it's like you mentioned those kind of weird things where you your your leg shakes or something like oh, that. Yeah. Right. And you understand why, you know, before modern medicine or before modern life, why people really did believe that demons were everywhere and doing things to you. Because yeah. stuff happens that we can now, we understand it. It's like, oh, that's a spasm. That's a muscle spasm. Or, you know, I'm prone to Charlie horses, which are a really painful muscle spasm. And they feel like, you know, your bones are sort of crossing together. Is that a cramp? Like, what is a Charlie It's a cramp. It's a cramp? it's a cramp that feels like. What is a cramp, by the way? I, I, what is that? Well, it's a spasm. It's some kind of it's a, no, muscle it's a muscle contraction. It's contract. an involuntary right. muscle contraction. And it's right. really, but really... But does it come from salts or something? They don't, Doesn't it come from, like... They don't know what it comes from. You're supposed from. to eat a banana. Yeah, they say That's eat a banana. They yeah, always say that. A, is there ever, does anybody ever say, whatever you do, do not eat yeah. a banana? <laughs> drink a glass <laughs> of milk. Anyway... Don't I, eat anyway, a banana. I'm, I'm prone to them, and so I know about it, but it's like, let's say... You know, this was 1682, and I'm lying in my bed, and suddenly I'm racked with this out-of-nowhere spasm. Nothing's happened. Nothing's hit me. Nothing like that. Saying, oh, my God, a demon must have entered my body is a perfectly rational explanation for this this bizarre circumstance. Can I I make one quick observation here? Like, we get a lot of crap, including from our producer, Scott Emmergut, about how this podcast really is... (laughs) Like about a bunch of old dudes sitting around complaining yeah. about their aches and pains, but that criticism has always been figurative until today. <laughs> well, now we are literally a bunch of old dudes complaining about our aches. I want to explain why we are talking about our aches. Well, and wait pains. a minute. Okay, go well, ahead. wait a minute. Just because you mentioned the uh, you know back in the day. So the other thing you have to remember that back in the day is that it was, it was gross. It was filthy. I mean, I'm reading, I'm finally, um, I'm almost done. The first volume, I don't know how to talk about this, the first volume of the Memoirs of the Duke de Saint-Simon. Yeah, yeah, you have mentioned it a year ago. You started a that year like ago. four years ago I, on I'm this telling you, it's hard, okay? It's, uh-huh. it's, a, it's, um, it's like, uh, it's a hard slog. But every, you're rewarded about every hundred pages with something like the Duchess, who uh, everybody hates because uh, it, at cards, she'll wait too long to go and use the conveniences. Sometimes just <laughs> on the way, lifting up her skirts and leaving a trail for the help to clean up. Uh-huh. And this was considered, a, a, you know, an unpleasant characteristic, but not like, a, a, you know, a not a not. It, it was not exclusionary. Yes. Like you, you'd say, "Well, like we have to invite the Duchess. I hope she doesn't do that thing again." <laughs> but you didn't say, "Like, why are we inviting this horrible woman?" You just invited her because it was it wasn't out of bounds. It was just right up on the edge. That, and there's this great moment where they're in the middle of some kind of incredible intrigue, and um, and they have to get a bunch of papers signed. They have to find a paper, and the the Duke who's in charge of it, who's a little older. It's a Saturday morning, and it's the day of his what they in French they call his lavement, his enema. 
but it's all too too much of an emergency. So he 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 doesn't have a chance to evacuate. So he runs around town, runs around Paris, assembling the intrigue and getting the papers ready. And he arrives at the, actually the Duke de Saint Simon's mother's house, and the, she opens the door, and he immediately runs. And this, this is almost verbatim. He he runs to the closet where he leaves an action of such proportion it could scarcely be contained by the bowl. <laughs> and then the Duke adds this note in parentheses, you know, um, the Duke was uh, often found, often found himself in these circumstances. So it's, so that, like, you um, know. Anyway. I, think, I think it's Versailles, right? That it was normal for dudes to go out on the 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 you know the the the, the hollow space in the stairwell you know this curving stairwell yeah, right. goes all the way down as so you can see through the floor that they would just pee off the yeah. banister because like it wasn't like there was the bathroom yeah. around and that's just what you you did I mean and there's this line I always bring up that Kevin Williamson first told me about about when we talk about like how much poorer rich people were back then and the Count of Monte Cristo which I believe might have introduced the term millionaire into the language. Maybe, yeah. Um, they make this big deal about how this guy, you know, he's trying to prove how rich he is. And so what does he do to prove in this absolute display of veblen excess is he serves two fish, two different <laughs> kinds of fish at dinner. <laughs> oh, I also, I just want to add, um, since I don't know when the next glop will come when I get to use this vocabulary word. The lady's actions who left the trail behind her as she went off. Oh, yes, 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 yes. That is the word for that uh, with only a slight amount of poetic license. It's retromingent. Ah. So uh, the trail, the viscous trail like a snail leaves behind is basically you're peeing backwards and it's leaving the trail behind you. I wa- retromingent. I wonder, if Dan- retromingent. I wonder if, uh, if Danny Thomas knew that, knew that word. Uh, but, uh, I, I, you know, there's this really terrific show on Hulu called The Great, um, which is uh, which is this retelling of the life of Catherine the Great. Very clever, funny, vivid, sharp, uh, smart, and surprising uh, with um, uh, Elle Fanning and this uh, really brilliant British actor, Nicholas Holt, as her husband, Peter. And the whole thing is she, she is this... Oh, yeah. He's she's crazy. this romantic, you know... Wants she reads Rousseau and everything. She wants to have a meeting of the minds with her husband. She comes to Russia, has never met him. You know, comes with him, comes to him, and like uh, sort of comes in and she says something he doesn't like, and he just slaps her across the face. You know, he also just pees on the floor, slaps her, across, and she like has to deal with the fact that she is married to a barbarian and that you know she's had all these fantasies in her right. life and she, here she is. She's the She's the, you know, she's the uh, queen of Russia. She's going to be the empress of Russia. But, uh, you know, basically she's married to this filth, disgusting scumbag, and there's nothing she can do about it. And, you know, it is as a reminder of this, yeah, the, all of the romanticization of, you know, of aristocracy and all of that, like, they were worse. They were like worse than ordinary people. That's why the bourgeoisie came along and created manners. Like they didn't have manners. They didn't have to have manners. Right. Well, even now they don't. Right. I mean, let's be honest. You know, some of the worst behavior I've ever seen has been by people with enormous, enormous bank accounts. Of course. And you know, you know, because we deal with this kind of stress all the time, particularly in 2021, you know. Uh, we're dealing with other people being horrible or whatever, and you know, mental health is nothing to joke about. So many people are struggling right now, not feeling like their normal selves. Therapy helps, and it doesn't have to be sitting around just talking about your feelings. So, what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. You can privately talk to someone if you feel like you're not dealing well with stress or you're having relationship issues, whatever you need. It's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. Better help. Customized online therapy. It offers video, phone, even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. So join the millions of people who are seeing what therapy is really about. See if it's for you because you are your greatest asset. 
This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Glop Culture. Listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash glop. That's betterhelp.com slash glop. And we're grateful to have BetterHelp as a sponsor of the Glop podcast. Uh, you know, I think in nine days or something like that, the Oscars got the Oscars in nine days. Well, I can barely contain my excitement. I mean, I mean, so they shouldn't have had them, right? They should have canceled them this year. Why? Why are they having them? We're talking about because because the reason you'd cancel them is because nobody's seen the movies, but nobody has seen the movies anyway. It's like there's no reason to cancel. It's like a it's Kabuki theater, so you might as well have it. Um, and, and you know, as like who was it? Ann Miller was it? Ann Miller, you know, the old Broadway star. She was in the uh, Academy for some reason, for something, and she voted. And this is before they would send out the streamers, uh, the, uh, the screeners, screeners right. uh, and they and before the streamers, you could log on, which I've been doing. Um, uh, and and someone said, so have you seen any movies? She said, uh, no. <laughs> Are you still going to vote? And she said, yes, of course. It's so important <laughs> to the kids, the young people. It's so important to them. <laughs> like, and that's, that's, so why not? You know, just I have it. But, yeah. I mean, the weird. I mean, can I just? I mean, since we're talking about behavior, mm-hmm. uh, well, I don't. The the problem with all of this is that that more and more of the horrific behavior of the people involved in all of these movies is coming out. So it's really hard to see. It's hard to imagine you're going to be able to put that. You know, put the. The, the the sparkle back on it because now you I mean all, you know all the producers are just loads and people and the actors are just one click below the producers right. yeah so you're, are you referring you're yeah. now sort of making kind of implicit reference to this story that came out last week in the Hollywood Reporter about the producer Scott Rudin right I love, I love that it was a story uh, breaking news <laughs> yeah, breaking news He's, a movie <laughs> was made about how Scott Rudin was a monster twenty seven right. years ago. You, you said to hold all your calls. I didn't know. You didn't know. You didn't know. You didn't hear me when I said very important this morning. What good are you? Do you have a brain? Do you want to keep this job? Shut up. Listen. Learn. F*** your disappointment. F*** your disillusionment. And f*** you. F*** you. People forgot that. Swimming with People sharks completely. with Kevin Spacey, who, of course, has his own issues, as we know. But Scott Rudin is a movie producer and a theatrical producer. And one has to say, unlike Harvey Weinstein... Uh, who, you know, was a goon, uh, but, you know, sort of courted a market and understood how to play in his market. Scott Rudin is a brilliant producer. He is a, and yeah, particularly yeah. in theater, like he is the foremost oh, yeah. producer of American theater and has been for 20 years. And he makes movies and he's, you know, high quality everything. And he movies. has. He was a guy when, if you had published a, if you had published a book, if you were a publisher or an author and someone said, hey, Scott Rudin's going to call you. It was like, oh, it was, it was yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Scott Rudin bought yeah. books that nobody thought should be movies yeah. and turned them into Right, and movies. he is a psychopathic monster. And he has been <laughs> yeah. since he <laughs> was a kid. He <laughs> throws things at people. He smashes people into computers. He treats people really meanly and all this. And here's what's interesting. So the bad boss story has been a staple of American journalism since the 1980s. It's like a, a story that people – started to yeah. do in the 1980s. Spy was very big with it. The Wall Street Journal started doing stories on bad people and, you know, government jobs and how they behave badly and all that. And there was no – the idea was they're just bad people, and so they deserve to be taken down a peg or two because they, they treat people badly. And it's news because, you know, these are famous people and they're prominent people, and we don't they don't need to be protected. Their reputations – it's not the interest of regular journalism just to protect people's reputations – but now you read these stories, and the bar has been raised by Harvey Weinstein and others since, of course, Harvey Weinstein yeah. has been convicted of rape, uh, that it's like, well, why are you doing a story about Scott Rudin? I mean, he didn't do anything criminal. So it's like, okay, right. well, then you don't have to publish a story about him because he didn't do anything criminal, whereas, you know, he spent 30 years treating people like garbage, and there are dozens of people who are apparently willing to talk about how he treated them like garbage, and he's a very celebrated figure, and so that's newsworthy. But now the bar has been raised, so you have to actually have committed a crime to be somebody who gets written about unfavorably. Yeah, and I, I don't remember her name, but this uh, a Broadway actress, Karen Olivo. In Karen the, Olivo is her uh, name. Karen, uh, in in the in the musical <laughs> um, Moulin Rouge, just announced. 
kind of a great fanfare and drama yesterday that she would not be returning to the cat to the show Moulin Rouge when it reopens, um, because in a protest of, of the kinds of things that Scott Rudin did. And I was like, I didn't know Scott Rudin had anything to do with Moulin Rouge. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> she just read the article was mad. And she's like, I'm not going. I'm not going to work. Yeah, no, no. So she, I'm not going to so work tomorrow. She, she is organizing a march. She's organizing a march in Times Square next week, so that mm-hmm. Scott Rudin is put on some naughty list. He should be put on right. a list that says, do not work for Scott Rudin. But, you know, I guarantee you, if Scott Rudin called her today and said, gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm just doing a movie. I was going to make you the star. Her response would be, you didn't let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you have to be tough. In the, you know, right. you, he does, she does the Larry Tate thing, right? Yeah. That's yeah. really outrageous. <laughs> Darren, that's the most outrageous thing. You mean outrageously, I like outrageously it. thrilling. Outrageously thrilling. Yeah. I like it too. Yeah. So, so is there really no connective tissue between There's none. Rudin and this no, one? None. No, no, none. 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 Yeah, none. And okay, yeah. All right. you know, kind of reminds me of years ago, at the height of the free mumia stuff. You're sure. There was some. I remember. I think it was Marty Peretz who was problematic in his own ways. Uh, he um. He did this piece, this diarist, about a meeting, I think, of Penn, you know, the, the writer's yeah, right. thing. And some guy I had never heard of, apparently at this thing, stood up at a meeting, very ceremoniously snapped his pen in two, and swore he shall never write again until Mumia is free. <laughs> Mumia in. Yeah, so like, like now that guy's a fry yeah. guy at McDonald's. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea whatever happened. Yeah. To him, but I just, Promise. I love there, was a, there was a. There was. <laughs> yeah. There was. A, there was a great. Um, I forget who 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 uh, who who had the punchline. There was at, at some. Um, uh, at some writers' conference, it was John, uh, uh, John Irving. You know the novelist. Uh, you know he was talking about his his my my process. You know. So. You know, my process is to, I, I don't write. I, I, I keep myself from writing. I just let it in my head. I let the story unfold and the characters speak to me. And I let my brain just fill up with the stories that the characters want to tell. My brain is just filled with their voices and their stories. And until, and it, 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 when I, I simply can't stand it anymore, I race to the typewriter and I start writing. And then somebody said, I have a question. What happens if you don't get to the typewriter in time? <laughs> John Irving. So John Irving sits He's there. A, he, he retromingently leaves his prose <laughs> across the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> Amazingly enough, when John Irving is sitting there, here's what he thinks. Bears, incest, incest Vienna. bears, soccer, Vienna. Soccer, Vienna. bears, incest, Vienna. Like he's written 27 novels and there's a bear and there's incest. And there's soccer, and somebody goes to Vienna. Twenty-seven right. novels. Right. Is he still alive? I think so. I think so. Uh, boy, was he boy! Hey, boy, hey, did he, people. Boy, was he big? He was really big when he published the world according to yeah. Garp. That was like he's our new Dickens. He's our new Dickens. It's yeah. the most amazing. So then I read the world according to Garp. I'm like 300 pages into it. I'm like, this is a book in which a woman. Uh, uh, how, how can I say this? Castrates her boyfriend because she's going down on him in a car, and her husband, and she's in the driveway, and her husband yeah, smashes I mean, yeah, his car into her while, and she, her teeth clamp down, and boom, her high school boyfriend is um, does no longer but have that's a. Not- that's the kind of incident for which John Irving was credited as being yeah. the new Dickens. Or Dickens left. Hey now. He's not he's not even half a Dickens. <laughs> Little Dickens. Um, uh, see, th- th- this makes me feel good because like I, I you know, I sometimes like Rodney Dangerfield explaining why he doesn't read books, he just goes to movies and back to school. Um, there are some books like I feel yeah. great shame for not having read. Yeah. And then there are other books that I really do feel if you see the movie, you get it, and you don't really need yeah. to do it. And, like, the movie of World According to Garp, if that's the most memorable scene, that's, like, the most memorable scene for me from the movie, too. So, yeah. like, you know. Yeah, yeah. right. 
Right. I mean, it's a big. But it's it's strange how 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 these you just forget these. Things. I do rem- I remember. I mean, I was we were, I was young. I mean, I remember the giant. It was the first book I was aware of that was sold that was in sold in supermarkets and like the drugstore and had it had its own like cardboard displays for the paperback version everywhere. I mean, I think it was bigger. I don't really know because I don't really remember Jaws, but I think it was bigger even than Jaws. It just was this, this book that was everywhere. Um, and then I read it. When I read it, I loved it. I thought it was genius, right? Because I was an I, you know, adolescent, and the, the book is kind of adolescent, and there's lots of gore and gruesome stuff. And you, But it is amazing how quickly you forget those things. But also, isn't it – I mean, I, again, I've only seen the movie, but isn't it also sort of of your milieu, shall we say? It feels very waspy. Yeah, you know, interestingly, I remember I, I was I'm, I'm the the uh, <laughs> the the part of it is set in a in a uh, it's not Cape Cod. It's like a um, North Shore mansion on the beach that actually is a real house, and it's in on Fisher's Island here in, in, in just off of in Long Island Sound. And the director George Roy Hill had been there as a kid in college. His roommate's family owns it, and they and and his I guess his nephew or great nephew was a front was a classmate of mine, and we all went there and spent a weekend um, at that house. And his grandmother said it was like at first you said absolutely not, you can't film here, um, and then they said, well, what? W- how can we? What? What can we do for you? And she said, well, you can fix our roof. And I said, okay, fine, <laughs> we'll fix your roof. And then he said, but you know, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna, we need a beach, so we're gonna truck in some sand. And create a beach here, and they were very against it. And then they said, "But the, but the movie company said, whatever we we will remove all the sand. We promise." So they put a beach in there. But like this is what we used to do when you made a movie in the early eighties, right? Just truck in the sand. Um, but the whole family loved the beach so much that when it came time to remove it, they're like, "Well, you can leave it. You can fix the roof and leave the sand," which they did. And so the you know the the, the family which kind of co-owns this big house, um, they're like. <laughs> They all got goodies out of it. So can I just get some yes. credit here? I just, on a lark, said this kind of feels like it's from your milieu. Yeah. And it turns out it's literally like with your friends went for noodle salad and white wine. Okay, noodle salad. Okay. I, well, interestingly about the noodle salad. No, I, I, I have an interestingly disillusioning story to tell about George, George Roy Hill, the director of The World According to Garp. Wow. Also directed The Sting yeah. and... Uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Yeah, big big guy. Big guy. So yeah, he happened. made a movie in the early 60s called The World of Henry Orient, which is about two 13-year-old girls uh, who go to a New York private school. And one of them is uh, uh, very glamorous and very troubled. And they conceive of a passion for a Leonard Bernstein-like figure. And they start following him around the city played by Peter Sellers, and then it turns out that he is having an affair with the glamorous but troubled girl's mother. And uh, this movie is filled, it was a, one of my favorite movies as a kid, and there is a, and it stars these two uh, previously non-professional actresses, and one of them was named Tippi Walker, and she played the glamorous troubled girl, and she was enchanting, beautiful, charismatic, fantastic, 14 years old. And it turns out that George Roy Hill started sleeping with her when she was 14 or 15 years old. And yeah. uh, this was revealed in various ways. There was, for a long time, Tippy Walker, who became a hippie, and then she had no money. And she was, you know, she was like a sort of a, a you know, 60s disaster area. And she would go to, and she was... On her own IMDb page, this is like before Twitter, before, you know, social media, yeah. and she would answer questions about her life on her IMDb page until finally, oh, oh yeah, do that. there's like a, there are message boards. Like, this is sort of where message boards first began. This is in the 90s. And in the course of this, she kind of revealed she loved George. He was so kind to her. He gave her money whenever she asked. Of course, they had been in love. And all this, and someone said, well, when were you in love? And she was like, around the time we filmed The World of Henry Orient, when she was 14 or 15. <laughs> and apparently, so the whole point is, he wasn't a febophile. He was like, he was sleeping with a teenage girl. He was 40 years old. And, you know, he felt so guilty about her, so panicked that she would reveal it, that, you know, he basically paid her off for the rest of her life. 
And, uh, you know, he was one of those guys who, you know, if you ever read it, he was always sitting around listening to Bach partitas, and he was so sophisticated and literate and, you know, very serious person. And he had basically, you know, sort of like catfished and, you know, he had basically groomed and then ruined this 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 poor girl's life. So that's the Hollywood that's part of those. Right. It's like one of those stories. Once you, well, so what did you? What what happened now? Would, would he, like, I mean, obviously now yeah. he's in prison, but but is there any way that he could? It, I mean, is there any way that you can um, uh, like get away with it? Not get away with it, but like, what do you say? You write a letter. Hey, I'm really sorry. There's nothing you can say. I mean, part yeah. of it is this cultural this thing where people say things like, "Well, you have to understand the time," right? And of course it yeah. was, she was a nymphette. She was a kooky nymphette. You know, Lolita had just been published. It was the 60s. People yeah. were, you know, and you know, <laughs> the and, and, uh, and I was just thinking like all those songs people have been talking about, you know, like the culture groomed girls, like the culture groomed girls and for older men, right? She was just 17, if you know what I mean. Yeah, right. She was only 16, but I loved that girl. So she was too young to fall in love and I was, or I was too young she was too young to fall in love and I was too young to know or something like that, right? He's, like, older and he shouldn't... Oh, these are song lyrics. Yeah, no, I thought you were just... Young girl, get out of my mind. My love for you is yeah. way out of line. Better run, girl, because you're much too young, girl. Like, these, these were the songs on the charts and, like, they made all of this thinkable. Go away, go, go away, little, little girl. girl you're, before I yeah. beg you to stay. There, there are... Yeah, there that's are, right. Endless numbers of songs about you know musicians in their twenties failing to stay st- stave off the temptation I, of sleeping with teenage was, girls. Was yeah. the police as a young teacher don't stand so close to me? Was that like the last right, one? That's made? a song. That's, that's a song that? about yeah. how he's wrong, he, what he's doing is wrong. Strong words in the staff. Room. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, it's funny when you think about. It. I, I was getting my hair cut. And they, the, 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 in the place, they were having a playlist, and there was a, a cover, a female version, kind of countryfied version of um, uh, the Beatles song. Uh, uh, can't, I saw can't, her standing can't, there. Hide your love away. No, no, no. It's the one where it's like uh, um, uh, it goes, uh, it catch you with another man. That's the end, little girl. Run for your life! You yeah, can't run, run for your life. life! Run for life! You yeah. can, little girl. Hide your love! You can. And he's in the, the, the female version. Just sound like a countryfied kind of like uh, you know Loretta yeah. Lynn, Fifth City, right? But the male, I remember the male version is that the guy is singing to his girlfriend and saying, "If I catch another man, yeah. that's the end. I'm going to kill you." Like yeah. the end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little. Yeah. You well, know, it's like those great psychopath songs. Like the great, there are two great psychopath songs aside from that, right? One of them is "Every Breath You Take" by the Police. We're just talking about the Police, sure, right? I'll be Stop watching me. you. And then there is right. "Funny How Time Slips Away" by Willie Nelson, which is a very banal song. It's sort of like going, like, "Hey, hello there. It's been a long time. You're right. What you doing? You're doing fine." And then it sort of comes to the end. It's like, but just remember, like I told you, in time you're gonna pay. And ain't it funny how time slips away? Meaning, basically, he's in the room with her, and he's just about to kill her. But remember what I tell you in time. You're going to pay, and it's surprising how time slips away. She cheated him, she mm. threw him over, and he is plotting yeah. his revenge, and time is slipping that, away. Right. I mean, I'm in the, like, yeah. you don't really know it until it hits you, like, right at the, the last moment. I love that. But th- but these are songs that basically say, oh, my God, you're just so sexy, beautiful, and wonderful, and all this. And, you know, they're like 13. Yeah, but, the, but that's obsession, right? I mean, the, the songs are about this heightened passion that you have, and it's not rational. Yeah, but, you um, know, uh, I mean... 
it is it is weird to be a parent of teenage girls and to think about the sexualization of teenage girls, how prevalent it was, you know, when I was a kid and how it's not prevalent now, right? I mean, it's Woody Allen saying that his love for Mariel Hemingway in Manhattan is pure and better than than the than the disgusting cultural affectations of his girlfriend, uh, his more age appropriate girlfriend Diane Keaton, who dumps him for his friend, right? That the 17-year-old high school girl is so much better because she's so pure and so unaffected and all of that. But also she's wise. And wise, she, yes. In, in that, in the thing, she was yes, wise. she's very she wise. wise yeah, the, the, wisdom, the wisdom to let a 42-year-old man make, uh, make a sexual plaything out of her. Um, guys, shopping for new clothes. <laughs> are you shopping for new clothes? <laughs> Which is one of the things you do when you're trying to woo a teenage girl. Or when you've committed a, a, a crime and you need to... I don't know that this is a good lead in what you guys are doing to the advertiser here. I just want to say, I don't think you want... You're I'm not sure the whole conversation was a good idea. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Like, I stay very quiet okay, during well, this conversation. Shopping for new clothes can be needlessly stressful, like doing a podcast that goes in a weird direction. So why not let Stitch Fix make it easy by doing the work for you so you can spend time doing the things you love instead. Stitch Fix offers clothing hand-selected by expert stylists for your unique size, style, and budget. Every piece is chosen for your fit and your life, and it's the easy solution to finding what makes you look and feel your best. Try on pieces at home before you buy, keep your favorites, and send back the rest. Stitch Fix has free shipping, easy returns and exchanges, and a prepaid return envelope is included. There's no subscription required. Try Stitch Fix once or set up automatic deliveries. You'll pay just a $20 styling fee for each box, which gets credited toward pieces you keep, and there are no hidden fees ever. Stitch Fix has styles and clothing to fit any occasion for women, men, and kids. They ship all over the U.S. and available in the U.K. as well. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash glop, and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash glop for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. Stitchfix.com slash glop, and we want to thank Stitch Fix for sponsoring the glop podcast. All right, so I've uh, totally, uh, totally made a hash of this podcast uh, with my with uh, talking about being too old and then talking about ephemophilia. So maybe yeah. uh, you want to uh, maybe you want to pick another topic and keep me out of it. <laughs> well, the only thing I'll say about the, the previous topic was I kept thinking there was a story yesterday that Matt Gates deliberately waited for a 17-year-old to turn 18 before he paid her to have sex. And the wow. idea that all of a sudden that makes him more of a gentleman than all the people you guys were talking about is kind of weird. But <laughs> we don't need to go any further into that. Um, uh, let's talk about Game of Thrones. All right. Do you want to talk about Game of Thrones or do you want to talk about Apu? Let's talk about Apu on Game of Thrones. I think yeah, that, well, would that would be, awesome. be yeah. Thank you for coming. I'll see you in hell. So Apu, uh, right? What would you say? He has a name. I can't remember his last name. Nasa, he, Nasa Pisa yeah, right. Petalong so, or something like that, yeah. but Hank, Hank Azaria. Apu is the uh, Indian, the proprietor of the, uh, the Quickie Mart in The Simpsons. Right, one of the great cartoon characters of all time. I think we can all agree. Fantastic, hilarious, agree. interesting. Yeah, uh, you know, noble, uh, tricky, like fantastic character. Right. Okay. Yeah. So Hank Azaria, a uh, brilliant comedian, has played Apu for thirty years or however long it's been. Has it been thirty-two years, something like that? It's long. Yeah, my God. Yeah, thirty-two years. So basically, because Apu. Uh, is Indian and Hanka's area is um, is a of Syrian Jewish descent. Uh, he has a po- he apologized this week for having played Apu. Said he wasn't going to play Apu anymore, and that he was sorry that he had you know done something so cliche ridden and, and horrible. Uh, so um, this then led uh, John Cleese, the genius. Uh, proge- one of the progenitors of uh, Monty Python, uh, to apologize. I can't remember what he apologized for, but he, like, satirically apologized for every imitation he ever did of anybody. I think maybe the French, the French guy who, who throws the cow off the rampart in, in, oh, right, in the Holy right, Grail. Right, right. Lord knows yeah, how many exactly. Germans he played, uh, right? Anyway, <laughs> But here's what's interesting. So Hank Azari apologized and did all this. And then somebody pointed out that in 1996, in the movie The Birdcage, Hank Azaria right. 
really hilariously and brilliantly played this flamboyantly gay Argentinian dresser, um, uh, Agador Spartacus, uh, the dresser to Nathan Lane in the drag queen show in in he, he was so flamboyant yeah. it made Nathan Lane's performance seem nuanced. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> John <Yeah>. Wayne esque. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this, really this is a movie, The Birdcage, that uh, that uh, uh, my friend Bruce Bauer, uh, gay rights activist, referred to as a minstrel show. Like uh, to, speaking of the yeah, he hated, he hated it. It. this was uh, on the occasion of the release of the biography of Mike Nichols who directed the birdcage. And you know the birdcage was viewed as a landmark uh, you know, sort of acceptance of a gay couple and Bruce is like acceptance of a gay couple, like this is a minstrel show like Nathan Lane, this is an embarrassment. It's a portrayal of gay life, and Agador Spartacus was one of the reasons. So this is the problem. So, like, why isn't Hank Azari apologizing for um, playing Agador Spartacus? Well, stay tuned. I mean, yeah, I think the more interesting question is why the hell is he apologizing for Apu? I mean, I, I, I honestly think it's, um, it's a terrible thing for him to do. I mean, I gather there were probably a handful of activists press release writing Jack Wads who wanted to make a huge deal out of it. But, but like Homer Simpson, particularly depending on what year you um, right. are looking at it because he's evolved so much, is a searing indictment of, of the white male. And Flanders is a searing indictment of evangelical Christians. I mean, you can go down a long list. And they're also loving treatments of them. But like Apu... Was this hard-working bourgeois guy, yeah. immigrant success story, family man, and he was funny, and he was like, there was there was and and like, I have I have lots of Indian American friends, you know, they all were in on the joke. I mean, I, I just I think it is just it, it's it's I think it's kind of sad that you know this stuff is necessary, but you know. It's necessary to them. I mean, I don't know. Hank Azaria is worth, let's say, conservatively, maybe you know, fifty to a hundred million dollars. What does he have to apologize for? What, 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 what part of his career is in jeopardy or in danger? Uh, he doesn't have to say anything. The, right. the point. What's interesting is not that it's terrible that he did it. What's interesting is that he felt the need to do it. He felt well. Right, yeah. But 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 so he drank the Kool Aid. He thinks that it's bad that he played up who. That's what I'm talking about. That's uh, the fact he felt it is necessary. Well, yeah. I mean, I also, the, I mean, just to be cynical for a minute. I mean, I think you, the money is interesting, right? Because he, he, he no longer has to feels he needs to make an argument for why he should keep his job, that job, because he's so grit. I mean, everybody knows gets it's so overpaid that it's okay to say, ah, you know, to hell with you. Because and I make a brave stance when you, there's absolutely no penalty to it. I mean, he's still going to play all the other characters he plays on The Simpsons. His, his you know, episodic fee is going to be the same. Um, it's a, it absolutely and his royalties for the previous his oh, residuals yeah. for the previous portrayal be the same, but they're small. It's, but yeah, it's, yeah. It's his blood money for playing Apu. <laughs> right. It's you know, it's it, it's a it's the best kind of moral uh, statement to make. It's one that costs you precisely right. zero. It's only upside for him. There's no downside. Right. Yeah. The downside is the three of us are like, what are you doing? Like, you know, if you're Hank Azaria, you're like, see you, fellas, from my jet. It cost me nothing, and uh, and now he did a good thing. You so, don't think someone's going to run into his office and say, you've lost Glop. Glop. Glop, <laughs> <laughs> I say. Oh, they'll still watch you in reruns. <laughs> I remember, like, talking to a friend. Uh, I was at a dinner party in last this summer. This is uh, no, off topic. But uh, a very smart um, – very, very successful smart financier was trying to explain to me why he thought that Trump was going to win. And my point was simply that I don't think he's, you know, he's, he hasn't expanded his base. You know, he's like a small. And the guy said, I don't think that's true. I mean, take me, for instance, he says. In 2016, so in 2016, <laughs> I held my nose and I voted for him. But in 2020, I'm going to vote for him enthusiastically. So, well, you, you're not very good at math, Mr. Financier. That's a net gain of zero. <laughs> I want to point out that. Uh, maybe Hank Azaria should apologize to the Irish American community for his shocking portrayal of the young Patches O'Houlihan in Dodgeball, where he is, where oh, Rick yeah, Torn yeah, is right. the old Patches O'Houlihan, but he is the young Patches O'Houlihan, and I think that was a pretty cliche-riddled portrait 
of an American Irish person. And where are the people defending the American Irish? Where are the people who are objecting to the Irish Spring commercials? The leprechauns. Have you ever seen the Simpsons St. Patrick's Day parade commercial? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, episode? Yeah. I mean yeah. like, it is, yeah. it is It is just naked anti-Irish bigotry. And then there's like, they, and I believe they've cut it out of a lot of the reruns now, but one of my favorite lines, I'm not trying to make any aspersions about oh, any groups sure or anything like that, but there's this wonderful scene. No, there's this wonderful scene where, where a bear wanders into Springfield and uh, people get really pissed off and the, nothing really happens, but they're really mad about it. And Homer starts a parade, a protest parade of marchers, and their, chance it, their chant is, we're here, we're queer, we don't want any more bears. <laughs> and, and then I think it's Lenny says to Homer at some point, great chant, Homer. Where did you hear it? And he says something along the line says, oh, they use it every year at the mustache parade. <laughs> I'm sick of these constant bear attacks. It's like a freaking country bear jamboree around here. Well, now, realistically, Homer, I've lived here some 30-odd years. This is the first and only bear I've ever seen. Hey, if you want wild bears eating your children and scaring away your salmon, that's your business. But I'm not going to take it. Who's with me? We're here. We're queer. We don't want any more bears. You know, by the way, part of the joke here is that is that um, ethnic humor. You know who loves <laughs> the you know who humor. Loves ethnic humor? The ethnic, ethnic group. people. Ethnics. Ethnics. You know, yes. Always there is a humorless community leader type. This is true of Jews forever, right? The humorless community leader who says that's a stereotype and that's really terrible for our people. And basically, if you meet them, you basically want someone to hit them in the face with a with a fish because oh, yeah, they're yeah. just lame jerks and full of it and they should shut up and go away but hitting hitting them hitting them in the in the face with a fish would be a, in the in the style of the yiddish yes. theater that's what you would do right. but but you know, we used to have a we used to like to sit you know you bunch of writers sitting yeah. around like coming up with horrible jokes and then at some point someone would say oh my god oh my god oh my, oh my god that's horrible Wait, I got one. <laughs> and it's always yeah. wait, I got one. And that was the top yeah. person. Like that, that person, you yeah. knew that whoever went the farthest would like, this is kind of yeah. gross, guys. And I really, and I'm not trying to be the jerk here, but we yeah. went too far. Hey, wait, I got one. You know who could be really arch and biting about this exact point was the Sopranos? Yeah, oh, yeah. Remember, uh, the Melfi's husband was part of the anti-defamation yeah. of Italian whatever thing, and was constantly there's this like refrain which I, it had to be like just deliberate twisting of the knife, knife or ass covering. I'm not sure which about you know the the bad name that mobsters and portrayals of the mafia um, it was kind of a fourth wall yeah. kind of breaking thing was giving to Italians yeah. and. I, there's a guy, nice guy, who has been reading me for years and following me on Twitter. And if I ever make any Godfather references, yeah. he goes after me as if I am deliberately smearing all Italian people rather than quoting one of the best yeah. movies you know ever yeah. made. Right. It's uh, you know, what's that great sign from from uh, you know Goodfellas? She's she's prejudiced against Italians. Too broad, too broad, too broad. She's prejudiced Italians. Can you believe that? She don't want to go out with Italians, well. She's prejudiced against Italians. Can believe that? In this day and age, what the is this world coming to? I can't believe this prejudice against a Jew blood. Prejudice against Italians. It's so great. You're like, yeah. What is that? What did you get off? Um, and, and it's, of course, it's horrible. It's whole. It's horrible. Um, but, but, but wait, I, okay. but I got one. I got one. I got one. Um, this is uh, this is gonna this is gonna end up. Okay, good. So I'll just tell you. Okay, it it's gonna end up. I mean, I mean, I mean, end oh. the podcast, not not just this but the episode, whole podcast, but uh, yeah, the whole yeah. thing, the whole cover. Right. How did I tell you what it is? A priest and a rabbi are walking down the street, and they pass a twelve-year-old boy. And the priest says, "Man, I'd like to screw him." And the rabbi says, "Out of what?" <laughs> so now we're done. The business is over. No, these are the two jokes you can tell.
these are the two jokes you can tell. And Rob, I believe it is now time for us to sell our wares. <laughs> Wait, this wasn't no, enough? We're going to sell our wares because if you want more anti-Semitic jokes, come to Commentary Magazine. Wait. No. I was... <laughs> <laughs> well, well, okay. Well, can, can, can yeah. we uh, – did, did, did that cross the line? To that joke, because it did, we can cut it out. But no. I just like, feel like we should have that. That no, should be yeah, that hilarious. Things it's that fine. are funny have their own justification. That's the whole point about things that are funny. All right, I, I get another one. <laughs> <laughs> it's when somebody says something like really disgusting, and you're like, "That's," they're like, "No, I was only kidding." That's when you know that they weren't only kidding. <laughs> yeah. It's when people have to say, "I yeah, was only right. kidding." Right. I didn't mean. I mean, yeah, it was, I was a joke. Okay, it's like a joke. Yeah, I was a, it was a. Well, yeah. it's a parody of a thing, yeah. a satire. It's a parody. That's what that's what uh, that's what this uh, yeah. nominee for the Civil Rights Division at the Justice Department said for her, you know, saying that um, uh, black people were racially and genetically superior to white people uh, because of the bell curve, and then invited a, a black supremacist anti-Semite to Harvard to give a speech, and then when challenged about it by John Cornyn in her hearing this week, she said it was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> You're such an idiot. It was a parody. Yeah, and then all these reporters are like, boy, John Cornyn's an idiot. It was a parody. And it's like, oh, really? Go read what she wrote and tell me it was a parody, you idiot. Like, what do you just believe everything that comes out of somebody's mouth? Like, shame on you. Anyway, commentarymagazine.com. Come to commentarymagazine.com. We'll give you a few free reads. We ask you to subscribe. You know about the podcast. Probably it's daily. You should be subscribing to the magazine to help us defray the cost of the podcast the five hours a week that we're blathering at you. Commentarymagazine.com for all of your needs, including Rob Long this month in May doing a piece on whether you will ever see a bare breast again in co- popular culture. And you cut a lot. You cut my, my, yeah, my you final joke. Yeah, because I didn't want to end Commentary Magazine. No, okay. Well, that makes sense. Okay, there we go. It was a joke that involved the word crack. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway. So Rob Long is there. Jonah is occasionally there. I'm there. I have the cover story this month uh, called The Era of Big Government is Back. Ah, congrats, you. John. Congrats. You, you, they, you got the cover story they, on commentary. They, they made me do it. They, I really didn't want it. They made me do it. Oh, yeah. They oh, made me do it. I'm not doing it. I don't okay. make me put – all right, I'll write it, but don't okay. put it on a co- – okay, put it on the cover. But don't – not bigger than – okay, bigger than I'm everybody else. I'm not bigger than everybody not. else. In fact, I'm the third of three names on the cover. <laughs> James Meggs, Matt Cottonetti, and me, and I'm in third position. That's how modest I am. Sure. Jonah, talk about the dispatch. With special guest John Podoritz says. Yeah, talk right. about the dispatch, Jonah. I, I, do you mind if Rob just goes okay. first because I'm looking for something I want okay. to read from? Oh, I will, uh, I will say. Uh, this podcast, of course, is brought to you by Ricochet. We are a uh, fast-growing uh, podcast network. But we also have a site, a place where um, you can have a civil and interesting discussion with people who obey the laws of civil discourse. That's our job. That's our goal that we want. We want to kind of create a place where people can actually have conversations. Um so we are uh, – we always struggle and we always uh, wonder whether we're going to keep our lights on month to month. Uh, we would be very grateful if you went to ricochet.com and joined the club, ricochet.com, just become a member. That means you can mix it up with the fellow members. You can get a bunch of podcasts. You can become part of this um, fast-growing movement. Jonah is still looking for something to uh, – so, Did I stretch yeah. enough? Yeah. That's all right. We, I, I'll, I'll, I'll skip that part. Um. Yes, please come to the dispatch, dispatch.com. Uh, we're uh, in the middle of like a 30 day or we're about to launch a 30 day uh, free trial thing. I don't have the exact URL in front of me, but uh, uh, maybe we'll get in the show notes. Um, you can always send me an email at Jonah at the dispatch to ask about it. And uh, things are going great with us. But, you know, if, 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 if every sympathetic uh, listener of this podcast were to become a paid member of the dispatch community, uh, we would be able to do uh, even more and better and greater things sooner than we plan. And um, for those who are interested, I recently did um, a Half-Baked Ideas podcast with Congressman Mike Gallagher, where um, I drank quite a great deal. And um, I now use the euphemism for my, when I have a hangover, I just say, um, I was podcasting with Mike Gallagher <laughs> last night. Wow. And, um, and 
uh, Mike was better at, uh, at at maintaining. He was trick. He tricked me into thinking he was drinking more than he was, and I ended up drinking quite a bit. I was overserved, and you can listen at the end at my expense as um, I. Uh, uh, it becomes more and more obvious about what was going on. So that's, uh, you can find that wherever you get fine podcasts. And other than that, uh, please sign up when you can. Uh, can I just tell you one of the reasons that I respect Mike Gallagher immensely? Mike Gallagher married a Broadway actress named Ann Horak, and she moved back to Wisconsin to be with him instead of to be on Broadway. She's very talented, uh, great singer, and there she is. And so Mike Gallagher is my my hero because he showed her. It's like a great sitcom. She he showed her a better life in you know in Middle America than she could have in the bright lights on Broadway. It's like green. It's like Green Acres. I, almost. I have little memory of it, but apparently I said at the end of this almost two hour long. Uh, marathon drinking session podcast. You're a good dude, man. You're a good dude. <laughs> oh no. Will you will you be my friend? We should be friends. This is great. I don't want this to be like just this thing, and then we don't. Do, we should do like we should have we should every single week. Let's hug this out. Let's do every week. I can commit okay, to Scott, every week. Scott, our producer, just wants us to do two minutes on this on this crazy idea that they should reshoot the final season of Game of Thrones. We should, they should reshoot the final season because it was so bad. That's his idea. And I think it's an interesting idea. You know why? Because it was bad. It would be better if they came up with a better ending. And everybody would watch it. So they have a built-in. It would be like a huge. Imagine that you get everybody back together and they remake the last season. Talk about an event that everybody would You go like, you know, we didn't really do it right. Let's We're going to do it again. No one's ever done it before, and it would be really an interesting thing to do. You could still use a lot of the original footage, and let's be honest, most of the actors who are in the season, the series finale, aren't doing anything so great <laughs> that they couldn't carve out the time for a good paycheck. Yeah, I think that's exactly exactly right. Particularly Rob, if they could get a poo, that would be awesome. Like a poo could be like an innkeeper, yeah. you know, selling some mead. That would be so good. That would be so. Hank Azaria could play every part. A one-man show. Because of course he, could, of course he couldn't be accused of racial stereotyping because they all live in a fictional universe. Literally a cartoon. Simpsons. It was just a cartoon portrayal of a South Asian man. Yes, it was literally a cartoon. All right, guys, gotta run. I, I can't run. I gotta get. My, on my you got a hobble. I got a hobble. Like a just don't do it retromingently. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's you know next. that's next. That it's is in the cards. Next. <laughs> See ya. You know it hurts when I do this. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do this. Uh, One, two, three, Join the conversation.